Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. Hello, I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, Dan, but the annuals, to me at least, my humble opinion, they don't count. It's quite, quite the opinion. Well, welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks again for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider Talk. All right, Dan, today on the show, you and I are going to be talking about Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 68, slash Legacy 869. The story is Chameleon Conspiracy, part two. This issue was written by Nick Spencer with Ed Brisson, with pencils by Marcelo Ferreira, Carlos Gomez, and Zay Carlos. Inks by Wayne Foucher, Carlos Gomez, and Zay Carlos. Colors by Maury Hollowell and Andre Crossley with Eric Arciniega. Oh, my goodness. And letters by V.C.'s Joe Caramanga. The cover is by Mark Bagley, John Dell, and Brian Reber. This issue was first released on June 9th, 2021. Marvel, you got to stop giving me all these names to read. (laughs) That's all I got to (laughs) say. Um, Mark, I, I just want to jump right into this because like, I kind of feel like this issue is a dumpster fire. And, like, <laughs> I hate using that term because it seems very dismissive and people definitely put a lot of hard work into this, but like, it's just a mess from the start. And let's start right where it starts with the cover. Mark, I dare you to explain this cover to me, what a, we're seeing on this cover. It's a, it's a guy with a gun, with Spider-Man. I mean, what's, the, what's not to love? Like, Mark Bagley, can you draw a guy in a suit with a gun? Absolutely, I'm Mark Bagley. I can do it. I'll do it in, like, a week and a half. I'll do it in three days, because that's about what it probably needed, like, three days. It was probably like, well, no, they were promoting this cover for months, I feel like, right? What, what? <laughs> yeah, of course they were, yeah. I was gonna say this wasn't like some like like last minute slapped inventory cover that they pulled out, and yet what is it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, like if I had to like guess, it's the finisher pointing a gun at Spider-Man. The finisher, who I guess we're to understand is in Simcaria or maybe not, but definitely doesn't interact with Spider-Man. Not that Spider-Man really does anything in this comic. One with his name ostensibly on it. 
so, okay, just starting there, totally forgettable cover, like not using Mark Bagley for any of his talents. Or, or maybe we could place the blame on Mark Bagley. I don't know. Yeah, but it's just like, I, I, I what, think he what, did what is enough. this cover? I think he did as good as a job as he could. But like, yeah, this this I, I don't know what the instruction was. The, the, this cover missed that mark entirely, you know? <laughs> maybe it's even the foreigner. I don't know. I mean, it, maybe it's the I, chameleon. I can't, I can't re- really tell. Yeah, maybe it's the chameleon, right? It is his conspiracy. Well, but that's a whole other thing. It's like. For a chameleon conspiracy, again, a book with an event title on it, or maybe I'm misreading it. Maybe it's just an arc title, right? But either way, there's very little of chameleon or conspiracy going on in this issue. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't really know, you know, why it needed this big of a title. We bring in a new co-writer on this book. Ed Brisson is being brought into the book. I can imagine, I can come up with reasons I think that that's happening, right? Some people are like, hey, are they grooming Ed Brisson to be the next writer on Amazing Spider-Man? Because a lot of people recently have been really like touting, is Nick Spencer leaving the book? And the more time that goes on, I don't think so. I think, yes, we're wrapping up this Kindred thing, but I don't think he's leaving quite yet. And neither is he being replaced by Ed Brisson. Like... To me, Ed Brisson is brought in here in a Christos Gage role because Spencer's being asked to essentially do the impossible, I think, which is produce a weekly Amazing Spider-Man title when we're getting the Superior War, when we're getting a Spider-Man book every single week. That feels like a mistake, although I don't think Ed Brisson did a bad job here. The fault in this book is really on the plotting like the art seems cobbled together. The story is all over the place. If you want to call it a story, there's copy editing mistakes throughout the piece. Like when you can't spell clairvoyant on the opening page, you got a problem. Like did anybody read the opening page? I just felt like this was a mess. Maybe I'm being too harsh on it, but like to me, this is bottom of the barrel, Nick Spencer. I mean, at least there's like lots of Spider-Man in this comic, right? I don't think I don't think Spider-Man shows up for a second in this comic, does no. he? Maybe when he's like swinging around. Oh, again, he shows up at the very end, the final page, right? For sure, right? No, um, but but yeah, but point being, like, I mean, this is like you know, if you wanted to like encaps encapsulate, like you were just saying, all the things that could go wrong in a Nick Spencer issue of Amazing Spider-Man, I think we 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 got them all right here. Like this 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 comic's got it all, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the big thing for me about this comic is it's not story. It's backstory and retcons as story. And there are ways to do backstory and retcons that are satisfying. You know, you can build things up or slowly release information. And this issue is nothing but a you need to get from A to B. That That's the thing you need. Here's some plotty plot plot. And here's a big retcon that just like takes up four or five pages that isn't even internally consistent, which we can get to. It's just, I think it's just a mess. And I just don't know who's editing this title. I, I don't, I don't. With that said, do you want to get into some of the finer points here? Yeah. Let's get through this. Let's get through this because I, I, this, I just don't even think that this issue is deserving of our, critical analysis to the level that we give these books. Right. But anyway, well, I mean, the tell comic us about does, the first scene here. The comic does start off with a bang. Or does it? Because it's a hologram. <laughs> the, 
Teresa, Ter Ter Teresa Parker <laughs> immediately starts firing upon the finisher. Remember him from last episode? But he's a hologram or something because she doesn't shoot him. And, you know, that just makes everything makes so much more sense now. Right. From 67 or not. Well, I, I don't get it. One, I think the art was really confusing. Like, it looks like there's bullets hitting this guy. And I guess there's like a very slight blue fade on the bottom of him. But that's not very clear. Like, the art makes it in no way clear that this guy's a hologram. But then, last issue, Chameleon said that he wanted to be placed in this jail specifically to get close to the finisher. And if he's a hologram, why does that matter? Like... What the heck is going on here? Like, did he know that the finisher's lab was in this jail cell? Has this hologram been, like, attending jail duties as a hologram this whole time? Like, what is happening? I could only project in this jail cell, Dan. I, Dan, I, I, I don't know. I was not remotely interested in this plot point, in this plot, you know, beat prior to this whole reveal and like now i'm just like what the actual bleep is going on here like this is this is ridiculous but you know the the game must continue and now the finisher is going to negotiate with teresa yay yeah yay coming back this is where i'm going to pick some serious bones okay so, let's go like, yeah i was i was curious yeah, let's what you go. were going to react to this scene dan cuz this was this is this is major major retcon alert here yeah, so Ned wants to explain to Peter how he's alive, but he can't tell him everything because reasons, which Peter doesn't even flinch at. You know, like he's just like, okay, fine. You, you, you were brought back from the dead with some, I guess we get to see the, the ominous feet uh, at, the, at the base of Ned, Ned's grave, which Peter doesn't get to see. Although based on the way that the narr narration has been in this series, Peter is omniscient, so I'm not sure why he doesn't know about all that. Now I'm just being mean. If this book was really interested in Peter, it would be in his head going, huh, red flag, Ned doesn't want to tell me how he got back from the dead because of a reason he can't say. But what he does tell us is like a whole double-page recap of Ned's story and how it's different from like what we've known about Ned. So it turns out that Ned, way back in the Hobgoblin days, as we were going to discuss on the show, was becoming aware that he was brainwashed by the Hobgoblin because he had been brainwashed by the Hobgoblin to behave like the Hobgoblin. And in that storyline, he beats up Flash Thompson, but like a normal person beats up Flash Thompson, not like Hobgoblin punches jaw off kind of thing. And so he, like, apparently now has become self-aware that, wait a minute, if I was really the Hobgoblin, I would have really done some damage to Flash Thompson. So instead, he concocted a scheme where he wanted to, like, basically betray the Hobgoblin by ingesting the actual goblin, goblin serum, you know, before he died and really be powerful. I don't know if he wanted to assume the role of the Hobgoblin or attack Roderick Kingsley, but that was the plan. Now... Correct me if I'm wrong, Mark. It took like pages of research and specific like findings for Roderick Kingsley to discover how to concoct the goblin serum. It wasn't something that was just like laying around everywhere. And when he drank it, 
it ultimately got destroyed. The serums like uh, ingredients got destroyed. I- is that accurate? In within this realm and context, yes. So I don't know how Ned Leeds discovered this thing. Would Ned Leeds have had the ability to do that? I mean, he is an intrepid reporter, Dan. So I mean, <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, it, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I mean, that's. I mean, nothing. N- Look, it's comics. Lots of things happen in comics that don't make sense. But this storyline really doesn't make sense. Like this retcon is really stretching the no prize limits here, I think. In some ways, it's like, okay, like I should be thrilled about like a Hobgoblin story or a retcon that like clears up the Hobgoblin story. I mean, Lord knows we're big fans of the Hobgoblin and Hobgoblin Lives, which is essentially like a like 20 years later or whatever, 10 years later, uh, retcon that like, you know, seeks to clear things up. And in some ways this does clear up, like why would Ned Leeds be in the situation that he's in, but not entirely. So, so what happens is, you know, Ned still died, I guess, because the goblin serum didn't kick in immediately for some reason, which I also don't think is like how the goblin serum works, but it took few days to kick in. And in the meantime, he had his throat slit. And then just like Norman Osborn, he healed back up, which Ned quotes here. And I'm like, do people know that Norman Osborn and the goblin serum has healing properties? I guess so. I mean, I guess if my neck healed back up, I would want to look into like what was going on (laughs) in, in, in that regard. So he was buried and crawled out of his grave, very much like Craven's last hunt. And with the help of the mysterious someone that we can't know about just yet, he has returned to a sort of like Harry Osborne-like existence of hiding in Europe and doing uh, other things. So, okay, let's say I buy that retcon, which fine, I will. You know, like that's where we're at. It doesn't square with what we found out in the previous issue, which is like, Ned's back. Peter remembers, oh yeah, Ned on his deathbed was saying something about Betty. But that was the cloned Ned. So, like, why would he utter that to Peter about Betty if he didn't have that knowledge? Okay? And then, also, like, just in terms of the clone conspiracy, like, wasn't it true that the clones had the souls of their original person in them? So, like, how does it have Ned's soul if Ned's alive? Right. Well, I mean, unless was, I mean, was he going to utter that like Betty's with an imposter or something, you know, like it could always be that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's more to come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because this doesn't really add up. I I mean, like, again, like I know comics are kind of silly and ridiculous and we deal with this. I mean, literally, this is like riffing on the same storyline we got with Norman and Harry Osborn and how they came back from the dead. So why not do it with Ned? But like, if you take it at face value, as you're alluding to, negates a lot of other storytelling that preceded it. And that doesn't seem to make sense. Like, why would we be doing this? But not only in terms of negating the story, like, let's say that worked out. It's still a really strange way to tell it, which is like, hey, Dan Slott brought this character back. I immediately killed him off. Then I'm going to do an issue that makes you think that that guy is back and you buy that. And then in the next issue, I'm going to tell you, no, it wasn't that guy. Forget that guy ever really happened. Why not just make it the one guy? And 
like play with Ned operating in the background for a while, tease this out, make it into a story rather than exposition dump, which we got here, right? Right. Like if we saw like images of Betty texting Peter in, you know, over on her overseas assignment and him ignoring it, but like there being a mysterious person with her, it'd be kind of interesting. And then the review would mean something. Whereas here we get a reveal, which took three issues. Now we're on the three issues of dealing with this Betty pregnancy thing and the behind the scenes of it. And it's just a big information retcon dump and it means nothing, you know, like, except for you're like a big spider nerd like me. That's like more hobgoblin backstory. Great. But I don't feel that way because I value story over retcon. Is there anything about this that could redeem it all for you? You think? I think, you know, maybe there's a cool story to be told here where like Ned finally actually becomes the hobgoblin because if he's essentially goblin powered, you know, it could go that way. He's like a super person now, you know, so maybe there's like a big Ned Leeds versus, you know, the hobgoblin story that we got coming down the pike. And that could be really fun. Like that might make it worth it. But in the moment right now, it feels like kind of unnecessary and weird and like not told any kind of like dr- real dramatics to it, which is what I come to this book for is, you know, dramatics. I feel like I've been ranting here, but I hope some people are listening to this and nodding along at home. <laughs> As someone who, like you, is a bit of a nerd about this era of comics that we're mining here, I just, I, this this all feels quite random to me. And I, frankly, I, my expectation is that this is all going to, be, go go bust like we're gonna find out whoever this net is is some kind of imposter and the you know the the real the real clone Ned is dead still and I mean you know what that means for Becky for Betty and her pregnancy I don't know and that makes me uneasy uh, but I guess we'll get there when we get there yeah the two of them are working on a case that is like about the foreigner and it involves Jamie and the clairvoyant so that's their way of tying this story into the other one. So at least now some of our stories seem to be kind of like meshing together in some way. Like any good story, spy or like any good Spider-Man story, you know, we, we, after we have this scene where Jamie is trying to sneak past Kurt Connors as the lizard and, you know, Kurt is working on this isotopic genome accelerator to cure himself. We got who, who, who makes a surprise appearance in this comic, Dan? Well, it's slide. Which I think I would like normally be like, oh, fun. Slide is back. Like, like that's a character I've forgotten and isn't particularly interesting. But like, do something cool with Slide. Why not? So, I mean, yeah, we got the murderer's row now in in this comic of Foreigner, Chance, Slide, and then the Jack-O-Lantern. I mean, you know, like threat level midnight for sure. Right. (laughs) I mean, the, the jack-o'-lanterns, the, you know, all that there's like all those goon jack-o'-lanterns is kind of cool. Like, I love the design of those characters. You know, when Jamie tries to like sneak past Kurt by getting this card. I just don't care about Jamie. I thought that the artwork in the sequence was really weird. Like lizard Kurt Connors doing experiments. Like, I thought the last time we met with Kurt, he was still able to transform between the two forms. Or no, 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 that was the, no, that was the end result of the, the hunt story was that, or hunted was that he was like permanently stuck as the lizard. So they're just letting this giant lizard guy like teach class mess around in their lab. 
Sure, why not? You know that that, that and that and let's be honest here, Dan. That status quo will change fifty more times uh, over the span of the life of this podcast. So you know, well, yeah, the lizard is the least consistent status quo in history of comics. That that's for sure. So of course, Spider Man busts in right as they're about to like hijack this machine, and he's got to protect it for some for some reason. You know, he's very worried about Jamie. Alex in our chat is saying, wasn't Kurt briefly seen as human in 46? Am I going insane? Alex, I felt like I was going insane too. So so maybe there's something there and I need to double check it. But I, I'm a little bit like up in the air on Kurt Connors at the moment. I'm guessing he's going to come into play in this story some way. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of tired of watching him try to heal himself, to be <laughs> totally honest. So, so that's the end of the book. Like you said, threat level midnight with all of these characters that Spider-Man's clearly not going to be able to defeat. <laughs> and then we get another Sinister War. And this time I'm right in saying, well, I was right last time too, but Sinister War, another stinger. Doc Ock recruits the Sandman who has a lost sense of, morale, of mortality. I didn't get this reference, but clearly you did, Dan. Where does this come from? Yeah, this comes from like uh, some of the final Chip Zdarsky stories. There's a a, a Chris Bacalo, uh, Chip Zdarsky story that's actually pretty neat. Really, really weird. Where like this, where Sandman kind of like realizes he like can't be killed, and he's like kind of immortal. And the story kind of goes throughout. It gets all timey wimey, and we see like Sandman at the end of the universe where he's kind of ascended to become this like cosmic deity thing. So he kind of, by the end of that story, kind of relinquishes his humanity. And when, so I guess we're finding him here on this island where he's just become the beach and lost his kind of, like they say here, sense of mortality, which I thought was cool because, like, I thought that Chip Zdarsky story was pretty cool, if not, like, totally out of left field. And to have someone kind of keep that status quo going and not forget about it at, le- at least makes that story feel a little more grounded in the universe of, of these comics. I don't know, man. I think we could get two pages back in the comic and do more stuff with Peter and then just have Dr. Octopus show up with the sinister six. And I wouldn't bat an eye. I don't need two pages of him. Like one at a time getting each of these characters. That seems just like a waste of space. that could be better utilized to me. So, well, it seems like it's probably what you're going to get though. So, Alas. <laughs> yeah, let's give this thing a grade, Mark. I mean, it's funny that we're already at the end of this because it feels like we didn't really hardly talk about anything, but that's it. That's all the comic there was. That's the tweet. Um, yeah, I think this one is a D. This is a flat D for me. I'm, I'm right there with you. D. D for me. Mark, take us home. It's that time, damn. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode, sort of, of the Amazing Spider Talk. This episode was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumser. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider-Madge. This episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. 
So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? So Mark, until we learn that you are actually a Nazi robot, what's our motto? Uh, Sig Heil, and with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next in-